Yes, yes. Uh, it's a it's a weird episode today. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. It's a very special episode, a very special episode of Garbage In, Garbage Out, where uh, we're going to talk all about drugs and also uh, blockbuster movies of 2021. The Oscars are coming up next week or just in a few days or have already happened, depending on when you're listening to this episode. And so we are doing a three months too late look back at the year of 2021 and the blockbusters that were. Uh, I'm very excited for this episode. Joining me as always is my amazing co-host Grift. How's it going, buddy? It's good. Um, I'm back home in uh, New England for a week uh, and I can confirm that all of the uh, multi-million dollar houses that used to have uh, Black Lives Matter signs, uh, like we respect science signs, those of all have been swapped out for Ukraine flags. So the, the NPCs are some Supporting the current thing out here. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I think that's uh, it's much better because the alternative would just become what? Trying to be an edgelord, and that's just Boston in the suburbs. That doesn't sound fun for anyone. <laughs> also joining us, though, is, of course, the one, the only, the amazing Grim. How is it going? It's going pretty great. Uh, I have not seen a single Ukrainian flag in my neighborhood. It's fantastic. <laughs> Let's talk about the pool of movies that we're going to be pulling from for this episode. Because people might wonder, well, what constitutes a blockbuster in the year of our Lord 2021, the year that was? And the answer is movies with a budget over $100 million, because it shows that the studios really thought that this was going to be successful because they poured a lot of money into it. And also movies that grossed over $100 million domestically. Domestically. I emphasize domestically because that means that it is a hit here and not just a hit that relied primarily on foreign markets, such as like the, the World of Warcraft movie that came out like six years ago, where it made like $10 million here, but $300 million in China. It also is a great xenophobic way for me to get rid of the Battle at Lake Changjin, because otherwise that would be like the number one movie for everything in this. So uh, congratulations to that uh everyone pretty uh straightforward with the financial guidelines of what uh is constituting this yeah good to go yes that means that then our qualified movies are spider-man no way home that had a budget of 200 million dollars uh shang chi and the legend of the ten rings which had a budget of 150 million dollars Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which had a budget of $110 million, which, you know, congratulations <laughs> on them for really dealing with the small budget route for Venom. Only $110 million <laughs> for them. Such your strength, especially compared to Black Widow, the next one up, that had a budget of $200 million. <laughs> the Fast Saga, that had $225 million as its budget. Uh, the Immortal, the Eternal, Eternals movie. Uh <laughs> R.I.P. Kingo, long live Druig, uh, <laughs> budget of $200 million. No Time to Die is probably, uh, yeah, it, it's the biggest boy on this list at $250 million. 
Free Guy next up with a budget of 125 million. And finally, at number nine is Jungle Cruise with a budget of 200 million dollars. Also known as the minimum amount of money it will take to get Dwayne the Rock Johnson to star in your movie these days. So, uh, it's, it's quite a wide pool. We got nine whole movies that count as blockbusters. And isn't it great? Cause they're all so, so good. Such high art. <laughs> permeated through it's nice to see isn't it and i mean kelton i know you had to do some uh last minute adjustments to the list and the <laughs> overall sort of thematic bit that we we're gonna we had planned my on heart doing is throughout breaking the episode. so yeah do, do you mind uh explicating that a bit sure yeah let's let's dive into the next section yeah. that doesn't at all fill me with rage and that is the honorable mentions films that either had uh, a high budget or uh, but a low actual box office or uh, films that just barely missed the cut. Uh, the first one, of course, is Dune. Dune was the movie I was hoping to talk about the entire time when I came up with this concept a couple months ago. I came up with, I think, in mid-January. So I've been sitting like a like a constipated hen waiting for, for this episode to be ready. And Dune stalled out at $93 million dollars domestically so does not quite make the uh, blockbuster cut and i was gonna stay true i wasn't going to say budgets over 90 million that grossed over 90 million i wasn't gonna try and finagle my way through to include it but uh, i just want to say dune uh let's go for dune 2 please let the worms uh just wash over us yeah we need uh we need a dark punished uh dune 2 to come back and uh, right right the wrongs of uh, hbo max cutting into its uh in theater proceeds <laughs> duncan idaho with an eye patch just coming back uh, the entire time uh fuck uh, the other uh, honorable mentions, I think, for this are going to be uh, Encanto, The Suicide Squad, and then also kind of bridging the line between honorable mention and flat out failure is going to be West Side Story. Failure, of course, not being like as a quality of a film, but just as like failure at the box office if that makes sense because west side story had a budget of 100 million only made 28 million domestically uh suicide squad had like a budget of 185 million and then it only made like 50 or 70 or something like that million but it also has spawned all of these hbo max tv shows that are really raking in the subscribers so i don't think it's a, a failure in the commercial sense of that way because uh that that was the gamble that hbo was more than willing to do because again it got us all of this uh expanded dc world it rejuvenated that and i think that was a worthwhile investment on their part uh, did y'all see any of these other three movies, though, that are listed as failures? The Last Duel. Oh, yeah. That's good. Last Duel. Love for The Last Duel. Good, good. Uh, Chaos Walking. Yeah, any Anyone see Chaos Walking? I have no idea what that even is. You know, it's like a young adult. Tom Holland, right? Yeah, it's Tom Holland. So Spider-Man, Daisy Ridley, so Ray Skywalker, and then Willem Dafoe, I believe, are uh, the three main stars of this. 
And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, weird young adult thing came and went. $125 million was the budget, only made 13 domestically. So it's like, yeah, uh, sorry you're not going to make the next Hunger Games happen in 2021. <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Being like, oh, wow, we're all such young teenagers. I, Tom Holland, 28 year old man, and you, Daisy Ridley, 26 year old woman. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Our young love, who could have known? Um, bizarre. But the the last one, and you know, I I hate to call it the biggest failure, but it objectively is is uh, Matrix Resurrections, which had a budget before marketing of 190 million dollars, and then it only grossed 28 million dollars. And so it was a movie that uh, the Wachowski did not want to make at all. That was not something um, uh, I believe Lana Wachowski that she wanted to make at all, but the studio forced her into it and said, well, you're making it or someone else's. So then she made it and then it bombed. And so uh, just, oh boy, what a, what a way to, to close out the storied franchise. Yeah, I like I had no idea it did that poorly. Like I know it had a disappointing opening week, um, probably, you know, like Dune due to the fact that it was on HBO Max as well. But like, that's embarrassing. Like it, you would think there would be at least enough like residual nostalgia for it to make more than 28 million. Like, that's that's nuts. Well, you know that what what can you say? Female directors just not the box office success as their male counterparts. <laughs> so uh, it's the way it's the way the world goes. Gripped. Uh, but let, let's look at some other things here. Uh, it's ca- kind of in the honorable mentions, but it's more in like the what the fuck uh, category. It'd be the big streaming movies that took place in 2021. The streaming. Giants. Uh, remember the Amazon Cinderella movie that came out that involved James Corden uh, hip thrusting in the middle of LA traffic? I, I, I remember that that uh, thing going viral for everyone saying that like, oh, if that was me in the car, I would have just taken out the shotgun and, and dealt with things myself. But <laughs> so you're saying that meme didn't translate to audiences everywhere flocking to go see the Camilla <laughs> Cabello uh, Cinderella movie. My no, entire uh, in-law family watched it together so yeah uh, they were the, the primary demo for it congratulations and uh i did they did they enjoy it because uh i i have to know they absolutely loved it great <laughs> good for them i it honestly makes me happy that people do enjoy it i'm not going to hate on anyone for enjoying a cinderella musical that incorporates like modern mashup things yeah but like, they didn't make you sit through it that's the difference Oh uh, well, yeah, that's true. I I would never sit through it. I I would I would take my stance and start chain smoking outside on the patio <laughs> like a god fearing American. Yeah, um, they, they they didn't make you sit in traffic to. Um, <laughs> <before seeing> <laughs> Oh God! The next, uh, the next movie we have is, of course, the uh, Netflix film, the film of the year that everyone watched and everyone remembers. Uh, Red Notice. Yeah, Red Notice. Everyone watched that. Budget of $150 million. Officially, unofficially, $300 million because uh, they had to do a whole bunch of reshoots and they had to film in the UK and move a whole bunch of sets and things. So, yeah, Red Notice. Yeah, millions and millions of uh, minutes viewed online, I think. Viewed in the US, right? Online. Online, you see, definitely not 
in weird Taiwanese or uh, <laughs> Indonesian farms where people have 20 phones hooked up that they're trying to scrub through. Uh, it's ah, what a, what a, uh, just a disappointing outcome for it. Uh, last up, and probably uh, the one that I have the weirdest amount of resonance with would be the uh, Chris Pratt film the the action movie coming to you from amazon again the tomorrow war with a budget of 200 million dollars fuck yeah oh remember this piece of shit oh yeah i I just remember how much fun we had on the episode going over it (laughs) not so much the film itself but uh we had a we had a good time tearing this thing apart (laughs) yeah uh good memories but the pump that nostalgia of ripping into that into my veins please um i started watching it and i got about five minutes in and i straight up just like hit stop and started cleaning oh well congratulations <laughs> to you for making the good decision of what you should do uh this definitely goes up on my list of things i never would have ever watched for myself but because of the show and what the show is i uh felt compelled to and it's it's weird because i have no regrets for this one because again the the riffs on that episode were fantastic but uh we are now able though to dive into the the actual meat of the show this is the awards program the the important things here this is where the prestige happens <laughs> for the blockbuster awards. It's uh, dipping our toe in. It's it might seem comical now, and it might seem like we're not giving it the gravitas it deserves. But forty five years from now, people will be looking back and saying, "Oh wow, remember this? These were th- these were the first awards." <laughs> my, uh, my my strategy, by the way, is not to try and rival the Oscars because I think that's a that's a fool errant uh the the emmys uh regularly try and i'm sorry not the emmys the golden globes regularly try to do that and they fail i have my sights set on much lower and more vulnerable uh opposition and that's the saturn awards because i think it, it can't be that hard i'd be i'd be wary about gunning for the oscars this year uh particularly after amy schumer was like we're we're taking no prisoners this year. I'm good. I'm going after the audience. Like it's it's they're they're on notice. So yeah, I don't I don't want the podcast. They're on red so, notice. Yeah. Yeah, they're on red right. notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys get that? That was a movie that came out this year, but I'm also using it as a as a pun, huh? Huh? Uh, this is what comedy is in 2022. Um, so let, let's talk about the actual awards here. I'm going to run through what the, our categories are, and then we can start talking about them one by one. Uh, our first category is, of course, best trailer. It's uh, it's the thing that makes you excited to see the movie. So why not get excited for uh, what the best trailers were of 2021? Then we have the best screenplays, the stories that caught our attention, and these thoroughly unique blockbuster story acts with the twists and turns throughout them, just really making you feel compelled all the way through. Um, And then we have best production design. What was able to immerse you into the world and make you have the ability to suspend your disbelief and feel uh, compelled to want to invest into these characters. Uh, similarly, best visual effects, either CGI or practical 
magical. I know we've had a lot of jokes about CGI back and forth, but uh, I think that, you know, uh, a good CGI can be done incredibly well. So, uh, again, uh, adding to that immersion. Then we get into best performance in a supporting role. I'm making this genderless, not because it makes the show shorter, but because I am an ally. Let's all remember that. I'm shortening the show because I am an ally. (laughs) Then uh, we have best film editing. We're going to talk about it, unlike the Oscars, because they don't believe the editing is worth mentioning in their TV broadcast. So I'm sure that's going to make them, uh, the editors of the Oscars, feel incredibly uh, happy. And also, like, their time is worthwhile. Now, uh, then we have best cinematography. Of course, it's how the movie is shot, how it's all framed. Nice to see that. Then best performance in a leading role. Uh, Then best director. And then finally, best original picture, which I think is going to be a very interesting list. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Best trailer. Our nominees that I have selected uh, are F9, The Fast Saga, Free Guy, and Eternals, take it away. Who? What were your thoughts on these? Who do you think has the best trailer of 2021? Um, so I I rewatched all of these trailers today uh, before the show to refresh myself. Um, and I mean, like, definitely, like, Free Guy had the. It was the one that made people the most angry. I think because it was just like they highlighted the um you know media crossover tie-ins that disney owns the ip to very heavily in the trailer when in the actual movie they were it was just like a one scene thing so um it it was maybe uh misrepresenting the film a bit um and then of course the eternals was getting was just the the um discourse du jour last fall because you know and the trailer was you know due to that a lot too because it was like you're just seeing the latest cgi marvel fest that's now trying to like um portray itself as a serious movie because you have chloe zhao involved um but i'm gonna at least my <laughs> vote i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to f9 because i haven't seen f9 and you know I, I know some other people here have but i thought it was a pretty good trailer you know you got the concept of like latin x john cena uh you got you got <laughs> like uh, uh you know potentially going to space strapping a rocket ship to a car um doing like a spider-man uh type uh like like lasso of a car to jump it over a chasm there there is there's some good potential stuff in there so i can't speak to the film's quality but i i think uh for people who would be interested it definitely it definitely did the job in in uh in the best way possible wonderful wonderful uh so grim what what are your thoughts on this i think if the goal of a trailer is to adequately sum up the movie itself eternals actually wins because it's mm. kind of incomprehensible and garbage. <laughs> and it really does tell you what you're getting into, like right off the bat. Sure. I, you know, I, I would, I would agree with you on Eternals. However, I, there's only so much standing on the beach that I can support for uh, the, the year and a half of trailer hype buildup that they got. Um, maybe if they incorporated more Kingo in it, I, I would be appreciative of this. But we didn't get one shirtless scene with him. And we got plenty of shirtless aspects of F9, at least of, you know, rocking the biceps all the way out i I, I I gotta respect that i do like imagining marvel like some guy at marvel being like hey by the way kumail you need to get your body fat percentage down to four percent and then he just (laughs) he he starts grinding he does it for the nine months straight and then when he's done you know he just shows up the set 
and he sees <laughs> everyone else there, including uh, Phasmos. And the yes. guy's like, oh, you know I was joking? And it just just completely, <laughs> <laughs> just a nine-month gag to torture uh, poor Kamel Nanjiani for no fucking it, reason. It, it, <laughs> and he's like, now I look like this. <laughs> I now have to be the action guy for no apparent reason. I can't go back to being the funny man. My chin and jawline are forever changed. I am Kingo. <laughs> he's like wait uh sprite you didn't follow through with the uh like uh, height enhancement surgery <laughs> i was we were all supposed to be six foot three and four percent body fat what happened uh, yes yes but uh a good time i think um yeah i, I and i'm gonna have to to go with grift on that one about just f9 uh free guy Really was weird because it was like it, it was much less of an IP shilling than the trailer would let us believe, yeah. <laughs> which was uh, uh, shocking, shocking to me. The best screenplay nominees include No Time to Die, Black Widow, and Jungle Cruise. So I'm gonna go to Grim first. Uh, what what which of these stood out to you? Jesus, this is like the impossible <laughs> category for me. Congratulations, <laughs> welcome to the world of blockbusters. Uh, uh, welcome. It's a homogenous, gray, pulpy nothingness <laughs> that is the screenplay. So often, if only there was a movie that that struck through the cultural zeitgeist <laughs> that really just impressed the idea of themes and. And uh, a, a plot structure and moving forward. But alas, alas, uh, lost to the sands of time. I'm going to go No Time to Die. Hell yeah, James Even Bond. It's like the worst James Bond in like 40 years. I am not going to disagree with you there. But when your competition are such juggernauts as <laughs> the Black Widow movie and Jungle Cruise, uh, who, who, are, who are we to judge? You know, but, I remember seeing a guy, one of the, the creators of uh, the... Uh, the Ninja Warrior show and the one, the original one in Japan. And uh, he was getting interviewed and they asked what would happen if you went through an entire season and no one won, how would you determine the winner? And he said, this isn't America. There doesn't have to be a winner. And <laughs> that's really what I think of this category of these choices. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong, but this is America. So we do have to pick a winner. Uh, Griff, which of these stood out to you? Oh uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat as you, Grim. Uh, I'm gonna have to give the participation trophy to No Time to Die, just because it wasn't <laughs> like, it, yeah, it was. I remember seeing it in IMAX and being like, okay, this is pretty good. You know, it wasn't on like it was better than Spectre. It wasn't on the level of Casino Royale or Skyfall, but it was you know like in the in the IMAX experience, it was it was pretty good. But then I remember you know like some I went over to a friend's place and they had it on and it was like this is really boring. Like this kind of like this is just kind of lame and, and just very derivative. But you how know, much it, is it, left in this movie? Yeah, oh, it's, oh it's god, three, three hour movies, a, a movie about like James Bond's like relationship with his daughter. Now, like he, like he, he has to stop COVID. Like what's like what is this? Like, <laughs> um, but I mean, obviously, like Black Widow is like embarrassing. But but besides for a couple, you know, you know, there were there 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 were a couple cute quips in the in this in the safe house scene. But besides that just you know typical mar bland marvel dog shit and like i mean jungle cruise just looks like a fake movie like is <laughs> is that the refusal to believe that it's real yeah is the uh the, the best idea uh, yeah like uh, wait is jungle cruise a disney ride 
Is that yeah. why what it's based yes, on? Yes, yes. Okay. It's an a- adaptation of that. Yes. Okay. So. so it's like, oh, that's that. Okay, that's why the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, comparison is apt because it was just, oh, we have this popular Disney ride. Let's throw two hundred million dollars at it, but not have any memorable characters like a Jack Sparrow to actually make this a hit. You just got they like, tried. Yeah, they tried. This is they, the second they were like, time we have tried. the Rock. They had the haunted mansion too. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're going to be doing a reboot of that. So let's look forward to that in Blockbuster Awards 2023. (laughs) I remember seeing an interesting post, like they're being like, oh, uh, thinking about like, because it was like an early aughts picture, right? With, with, uh, it it was Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And like, the apparently like I, I haven't seen the haunted mansion but apparently like it's a um you know a black man going to try to uh live in a in a house in the like a like a mansion in the south and there isn't a single reference to any sort of like racial dynamics it was that sort of like pre- in a disney movie what? yeah but like it didn't it, it didn't it didn't have the angle that probably would have been explored more later on but it was just this sort of like pre pre obama pre trump like we thought that like you know the whole race thing was just like kind of solved and over and it was just like a sort of artifact of like you know the america of the early aughts when we're when we're when we're too busy blowing up middle eastern countries to even (laughs) consider these things well we just created the darkest grittiest version of a haunted house that you could possibly (laughs) imagine if you want to watch that movie it's called tales from the hood it's an anthology uh movie that's really good <laughs> oh hell yeah okay you're, you're not I'll wrong check that out. you're not wrong uh, spike um, lee produced it and maybe directed it i don't think he directed it but he definitely like was involved in its creation he produced it somewhere don't give don't give the people better recommendations <laughs> for other movies to watch we are supposed to be focusing on blockbusters <laughs> did it have a budget of a hundred million dollars no. no it definitely was in the like five million dollar realm <laughs> <laughs> Again, we shouldn't be suggesting how studios might better allocate their funds either. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to have a show to do. Oh, no. Instead, we'll just have a, a much better Hollywood system. Let's talk about production design. Uh, awards for best production design. Nominees are Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, and Venom. Let there be carnage. Huh. Weird. I wonder why the superhero movies all got grouped together in this award. Bizarre. A- any particular thoughts on this one, Grift? I'm gonna definitely go with Venom. Uh, just like there were there there was some cool stuff going on in like the the final action scene in that church. You know, you had uh, you had Venom in the gay club. You had the you know sort of like the 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 um. Uh, creative slapstick humor of uh you know uh, tom hardy and venom fighting and destroying his apartment so there were there was some you know they they it lo- looks like everybody involved was just having so much fun and the visuals definitely reflected that and the you know the design of the sets and whatnot so i mean compared to like i mean i you know we we did covered eternals on this we i mean i fell asleep watching it i fell asleep while recording um like <laughs> I, I i didn't even bother with chang chi like why so yeah i'm definitely definitely venom has my vote here well the the answer is is uh because you need to just watch at least like the last 15 minutes of shang chi because that's when it becomes a giant kaiju fight and our inevitable spinoff podcast titan truther 
pod. Uh, <laughs> it, it does then technically become a qualifier for a kaiju movie. And so, you know, adding that to the tally. But uh, needless to say, Grim, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely uh, have to go with Venom as well. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, I, I, I think it's awesome. Give me that grimy San Francisco feel all day over, uh, I don't know, uh, some random Southern California beach that they're trying to film is cloudy and make it seem like Seattle. Yeah, everything so. felt <laughs> gross, but real. It, like, everything was was just disgusting, but in a very real, like, kind of visceral way. And I it, mean, his it, apartment, uh, Eddie's apartment was fantastic. Yeah. With just, like, the level of chaos and the thought to it. I mean, it that, really, that in my head is what it, uh, alone made it worthy of a nomination, at least. It, it really is, like, brave that they just decided to make What If Jeffrey Dahmer Was Your Boyfriend into a movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was great to have a, you know, on-screen representation of, like, a Sigma male in a platonic domestic partnership. <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean just everything down to like the outfits and things it just uh it's a very just very sweaty movie you know i don't mean like how it's nerds and they're explaining it i mean like there's just like a level of just sweat the entire time uh all the way through it's uh it's almost like a throwback to like the the early aughts level like blade movies yeah almost as a like as a feel Best visual effects, CGI or practical. The <laughs> nominees are No Time to Die, Free Guy, and Spider Man No Way Home. <laughs> uh, some of these are more of a quantity award than a quality award. And uh, I, I just enjoy the fact that as someone who went in being very lukewarm about Spider-Man No Way Home, it's fun seeing just random scenes pop up every now and then and people shredding it mercilessly. It's nice. I've been seeing some discourse on the timeline, and I, and I know you uh, were sort of highlighting that on the, the pod account, that, you know, that shot composition analysis. That was really yeah. like, actually a really interesting post, and uh, just yeah, because everybody was ripping on the. It was like the the cafe scene with the with the three uh, main main leads in that, um, and just sort of like breaking down. Like someone was claiming it was like a good use of negative space, right? <laughs> and it's just like literally just tearing this this uh, caught like this this marble standing apart with like a, a, a thread with diagrams and visual breakdowns and actually like being informative and uh you know i i, I definitely learned something reading it so i feel but, like but, but it that. has easter eggs in it grift as so many easter eggs to other comic references and that's what makes it inherently good it's referencing other things you see and that <sighs> that's the thing because i recognize it and that makes me feel special and that makes me unique <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I'm sorry. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. I guess I have to give it to No Time to Die just because there was some you could tell there was some sort of like practical visual effect to it. Like particularly that there was the one scene where he's like fighting his way through the through the through the base where it sort of almost right. feels like a Call of Duty level. And it's actually kind of like visceral. And I really also practical. enjoyed the fight in the yeah. forest as well. Yes. Thought- yeah. Always love a good forest fight. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, we'll see what ends up happening because I have a feeling we need to like take a look at that location because I wouldn't be surprised if we see some stuff getting recycled in for the Last of Us TV show because mm. you know Sony gonna do what Sony gonna do. I definitely have to go. No time to die too, but I will say that Free Guy's visuals were all terrible, but purposefully terrible. Yeah, because like, mm-hmm. it was meant to look like a video game, and it kind of like pulled off the like garbage kind of watered down mmo like look um yeah like like fortnite meets gta right sort of the sense i got they they were going for kind of a terrible look and i can't appreciate that they kind of did pull that off i mean there is something to say about it's not necessarily them trying to be schlocky but it's that same attempt is like they were not trying to go for hyper realism uh, of being like gritty or uh, being, you know, grimy or whatever it is, or making you think like, oh, wow, this is real violence. Like they were going for that very particular aesthetic and then they, they nailed that. Um, it just, you know, I, I guess because I'm, I'm not in seventh grade, it didn't resonate <laughs> with me as much. I, I don't mean that, like, I know it sounds as a, as a diss, mostly because it's also coming from me of all people. But, like, you know, like, I'm not the target audience for the free guy PG 13. Look at this Fortnite meets GTA. Isn't this kind of cool? It stars Ryan Reynolds as a quippy person. Go download this new personality and become like the, the most popular kid in the classroom kind of a thing but that's yeah, you're, okay you're, you're definitely going to become the most popular class in the kid if you wear his free guy outfit to school every day trust <laughs> me trust me yeah. <laughs> that, or they're gonna think you're a mormon missionary <laughs> uh, <Yeah. either> <laughs> best performance in a supporting role our nominees are jody comer from free guy Willem Dafoe from Spider-Man No Way Home and Florence Pugh from Black Widow. Oh, I mean, I got You got to give it to Dafoe because you can tell he's just having a fucking blast playing the Green Goblin again. Like he's just chewing, chewing his ass off like in every scene. Like and uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, Jodie Comer, like she, in Free Guy, like, yeah, she's cute. But I nothing really, really stood out to me. It was, you know, just sort of a standard performance. Not good, not bad. Uh, I mean, the just I in Florence Pugh and Black Widow, I just can't stop thinking about that once scene that got memed as like was like this is a 200 million dollar movie like the the ex- <laughs> uh, the the base explosion at the end where she gets like where you see up. also the wires yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just the terrible acting from both of her and scarlett johansson so yeah i i, I think i think defoe blows us out of the water yeah uh, well well it, strong strong words of a position here uh what what about you grim well now that i know her name's not jody coomer I definitely have to change to Willem Dafoe. (laughs) (laughs) No, Dafoe had his fun. He got to like chew a little scenery and like, you know, just enjoy doing the crazy face uh, while Alfred Molina just like slowly collects his check. I mean, it was nice. Hell yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I really liked about uh, Willem Dafoe's performance is that he did about 40% of of his own stunts, which was shocking to me. But it was because he wanted to do them. 
Like yeah. he just kind of got a kick out of being suspended from wires and thrown around among the foam concrete looking bricks and things. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just think that that, uh, again, just had to be fun on set for the chemistry alone. Cause you know, if no. I, 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 I of course would take a Marvel paycheck, but I would, I would be so happy if I found out, Oh, well, uh, your job is to get beat to hell by Willem Dafoe, but it's actually going to be Willem Dafoe, not his, uh, stunt guy. <laughs> like, Oh, this is the best day ever. <laughs> you know, how have we not had a movie where someone just pays Willem Dafoe to be like the protagonist and he's a homeless man for like an hour and a half. <laughs> I would watch that art house movie so fast. Oh, okay. that sounds like a banger. A24, if you're listening and we know that you are, you hear this? $100 million. <laughs> Willem Dafoe blockbuster, where he's just hobo with a shotgun, too, basically, is uh, what it is. Yeah, so. I mean, a- A24 loves their merch. You know, they could do like a Yeezy collab with the, the, you know, the homeless aesthetics going on there. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Explaining sneaker culture to Willem Defoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just a truly fantastic experience. Next category here, we have best film editing. Woo! The editing uh, we have as nominees Jungle Cruise, No Time to Die, and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I think I gotta give it to Venom just because of the strength of its like comedic editing. Because whoever, okay, yeah. yeah, whoever did this just had a really good eye for physical comedy and slapstick, and just the 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 humor of the the editing really carried the day for this one. Because I mean, no, no time to die had some good like you know the you know visceral action scene. Sure, you know the one I highlighted earlier where he's sort of like um, you know g- uh, gunning down uh, you know bad guy minions going up the stairs in a hallway and it's and it's gritty and sort of you know like it feels like a it feels like a fucking shooter video game that 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 was cool there were some other good um edited action scenes that are definitely a step above most of the blockbuster fare um and i i mean i can't even talk about jungle cruise i don't, I don't even know so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say venom for this one good 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 um what, what about you grip oh definitely venom it's like an hour 37 perfect Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, to anyone who gets upset and says, oh, but what about No Time to Die? I just want to mention that No Time to Die had two editors. Uh, One of the editors was uh, the person who edited Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man. And the other editor was the one who was the guy who edited Captain Marvel. It's kind of like a, a peanut butter and bleach sandwich of where uh, that, that that's my gentle opinion on no time to die and if anyone thinks i'm being too hard on this consider the fact that these are nominated so these are the ones that i think are the best of the nine bunch so congratulations um it, it's a joy uh yeah yeah i think venom again as you mentioned hour 37 can't go wrong with that that's that's a, a runtime that's going to make comedy fans happy. It's going to make studios happy. It's going to make theater fans happy uh, and theater owners even because then you can get those sweet, sweet extra show times pumping in for I mean, it. So per minute of actual like time on screen, I think it it was more expensive than Spider-Man and like. <laughs> don't break my brain like this come on Grim <laughs> we like to have fun here <laughs> 
Uh, I think you might be right. Oh, God. Oh, it hurts so much. <laughs> but yes, yes, uh, I, I do think. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Venom is one of those movies of where I think it it is going to stand the test of time because it can go from a good movie to a guilty pleasure movie with aging because of the fact that they double down on the character work. They're not trying to make it seem overly cool or make it seem overly self-aware. And uh, the editing supports it, again, like a singular vision of what everyone knew what the movie was going to be. So congrats yeah, just, just to that. Just a real, real nice streamlined package. You know, it was uh, it, it, it didn't over overstay its welcome for sure. Now let's move into some movies that may have overstayed their welcome with best cinematography. <laughs> Our nominees are going to be Eternals. Spider-Man No Way Home and No Time to Die. What did we think of these two and a half hour movies? I mean, movies. Ugh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I like Eternals obviously has been getting clowned on for, yeah, taking place on a beach. The the just like, you know, very obvious. Making people of color responsible for Hiroshima. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, but I mean, Oppenheimer was, what was he, Irish? So, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, oh no, it's another. I mean, was he a redhead? Because no, now now we're getting into the conspiracy. It's, oh no, it's erasure. <laughs> I have become. Yeah. I have become ginger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, cinematography. I think is always such a a peculiar award. Uh, and this is kind of a larger point I, I wanted to mention because I think so much of what is considered cinematography is not giving credit to the VFX team that does an awful lot of shot rendering of making the storyboard images come to life in a way that seems and feels cinematic, but that's not actual cinematography, you know, like mm. a lot of what consists of Spider-Man No Way Home um, is not real cinematography. That is having an amazing, albeit underpaid VFX team do all of the grunt work and then having someone go and get the credit for being the cinematographer. Cause that's just how our lizard brains work. I think. And like the way the VFX teams like work with the rest of the production is like different kind of than it used to be, at least from what I've heard, like they'll, they'll just, they're, they're just sort of like tacked on at the end where, where they, they make the whole thing and then they put the VFX in. Whereas like there was a more like seamless integrated process before where it's like a back and forth and they're working together and it wasn't just like really compartmentalized. Um, and it's, I, I think, you know, there, there's all, all the, all the criticism about the way, the just the the bland aesthetics of movies now and and the, the over CGIification like it's not necessarily a bad thing because the I don't know if you remember that thread that was going around it, it was like the the um, Pirates of the Caribbean appreciation for like Gore Verbinski's vision and whatnot and apparently yes. like a lot of why that CGI worked it was incredibly CGI heavy and stuff you know like Davy Jones's face like just the fucking the ghost pirate ships and whatnot, but the way their <laughs> VFX team was like integrated into the production along the way, instead of just being tacked on at the end, like made it feel like a cohesive whole. And they could actually like create like an artistic vision as opposed to just like, uh, just, just look, something that looks like it was shot for like a network TV show. And then was just like, yeah, very, very like obvious CGI that didn't fit with the, with the background and the, the other, <laughs> other stuff going on in the shots. 
Hey, be nice to Marvel's Inhumans. I mean, Eternals. Okay, come on. They they worked very hard on that movie. That's gonna get no sequels. Uh, all right. Oh uh, man. Uh, yeah. It, it's uh. It, it is interesting. I think to see where we stand with things. Um. Do we have a particular winner when it comes to cinematography, Grim? Uh, I mean, I mean, like Spider-Man No Way Home, sure, like, sure, it was like definitely better than other Marvel movies, like probably because of a lot of nostalgia. But the visuals really didn't do anything particularly like, like, like well compared to the other Marvel movies that we always clown on. So and obviously, like the Eternals is what it is. So I, I have to begrudgingly give it to No Time to Die, I guess. There were there's some <laughs> cool there's some cool shots of those missiles going towards the island. And, you know, it's a James Bond movie. So they're always, you know, do it going to exotic locales. So it has a lot of stuff working for it already. So uh, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to give it to No Time to Die. <laughs> It's a very begrudging award, I understand. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Grim? Yeah, I pretty much have to give it to No Time to Die. Hell yeah! All right, sweeping. <laughs> no Time to Die, <laughs> the most begrudging <laughs> of, of, of wins here. Uh, it, it's uh, again. Uh, I wish they could be an award for a movie maybe with good cinematography that i was excited about but <laughs> and like sweeping oh, landscapes well. and consistent color palettes <laughs> that would be nice you know that's what happens though when you get uh grimes as your uh as your advisor for <laughs> influencer so, yeah onset influencer <laughs> oh god <laughs> Let's talk about best performance in a leading role. Uh, we have three nominees. Uh, first one we have is Scarlett Johansson from Black Widow. Then we have Dwayne Johnson in Jungle Cruise. And finally, we have Daniel Craig in No Time to Die. A real real bunch of heavy hitters. Because uh, spoilers for uh, uh, at least two of these movies. It is their last role in this particular thing. So um it, it's a it's a element of closure and send-offs and so it seems like that those were lock-ins obligatorily yeah i'm gonna have to i, I i'm gonna okay I'm, I'm gonna go a little do a little counter programming here and give it to scarlett johansson just because of uh you know she's you know, outside of her performance in the film, which there was some pretty embarrassing line delivery that that was that was memed a bunch. But outside of the movie, she, uh, you know, was standing up for uh, labor rights in this in the streaming age, you know, compensation for for actors and whatnot uh, being like, oh, this this was this was shelved and then put on streaming and we didn't have the full release. So, yeah, I'm going a, I'm to a hold out and need more money and I'm going to sue you. So, uh, yeah, props to her for doing that, you know, like standing up for the the rights of uh you know actors who have hundreds of millions of dollars you know that it's a it's a struggle that needs to be fought uh so she, she's out there <laughs> fighting the good fight you know you gotta you gotta put on a performance for the media so i'm, I'm gonna give it to her what a pr move you know yeah. just automatically to double down into well maybe not the movie but what the movie represents and the change that this movie can bring about in society it's for the culture that's why uh, you should be yeah. into Scarlett Johansson. She's the she she's the uh, Kurt Flood of the uh, streaming age, and, and <laughs> I don't, uh, that might go over the head of anyone who doesn't uh, know the intricacies of baseball history. But yeah, <laughs> there's one guy that just like slammed his thigh. It was like yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Grim, what about you? 
I'm going to go with uh, Dwayne Johnson because his movie had the lowest body count of any of these movies. There's fewer people dead because of Dwayne The Rock Johnson than either of those leading actors. <laughs> well, excellent, excellent. Um, this is where I think we all are then going to be even split here because I, I have to go with Daniel Craig for the simple reason that Daniel Craig wanted his last movie to be Skyfall. Then he wanted his last movie to be Spectre. <laughs> and then, in No Time to Die, he made sure that his character was on top of a roof with nowhere to run when a missile lands three feet from him and obliterates <laughs> the entire building. He found a way to guarantee that he wouldn't have to come back for this. And uh, I, I, I respect that too much to... To not want to award that kind of leading man performance. Yeah, we we all know that life finds a way, but uh, in, in this case, uh, death finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun next year when it's uh, Top Gun Maverick and winning with Tom Cruise. You know uh, what? What a time! Long, what an exciting awaited performance. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly long. People were in middle school are now graduating high school. That's how long they've been waiting for this movie uh, to come out. What a time. Now we move into uh, the penultimate award of best director of where uh, we have some, some real heavy hitters. We have uh, Carrie Fukunaga uh, with No Time to Die, John Watts with Spider-Man No Way Home, and Andy Serkis from uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage. Uh, Andy Serkis is, is the mocap guy. I think, I think I'm gonna have to give it to him just because of the way, like, you know, cause he was, he clearly like understood how to like use that, like, um, uh, the mocap mo guy mo knew mo how to direct a, a mocap movie. A mo yeah. Movie. yeah. Great. So it was a perfect fit. And, you know, you had the sort of like, um, Venom as like the, almost like ventriloquist dummy on Tom Hardy's shoulder. And it was just, yeah, there, there was a lot of brilliant choices there. So they, uh, like, I, I, I think, I think for the. He was the right guy for the material there, for sure. Yes, yes. I, it is fascinating to see him go from being like this guy who was trying to make it as an actor. Then he found like his weird, just very small niche in being um, you know, a mocap guy. And it's like, oh, is this really uh, like what you're going to be? Uh. And then like, oh, wow, it is. And he's great at it with Gollum. And then also as uh, Caesar and the, the Planet of the Apes movies. And then he just kind of kept that going while then also picking up other random uh, small roles all the way through. We're going to look past the fact that he was Snoke cuz uh I, no one needs to remember <laughs> Oh god. <that. laughs> yeah. Was he was he um was he King Kong in the 2005 one too? I no, think he I don't may know. Have he, been. he was. Yeah. He was yeah. Kong cuz it was yeah. Peter okay. Jackson that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, yeah, good, good respect to him. Respect to him. Almost enough respect to make me forget that he was Ulysses Claw. Almost, but not. You thought you thought you could swing for the fences with that South African accent, didn't you? Didn't you, Andy Serkis? <laughs> but we know he does make know. a weird Alfred. <laughs> <He does. laughs> uh, definitely the most emotionally stunted Alfred. So I, I'm I'm excited. I straight uh, up to thought that was his fitness trader for the record. I did not realize that Andy Circus was Alfred, and there's just a buff guy walking up to Robert Pattinson. And I was like, is, is this his fucking fitness trainer? Why is he in the Batcave? 
It is great. Uh, I what I really love, and I don't mean to you know make it seem too much like sucking off Andy Circus, but uh, the the approach that they had in the Batman to have Alfred's guilt be that it was his job to protect the family, and that then the one day that he didn't, or one night rather that he didn't protect the family uh th- then they died like that that fucked him up way more than i think uh has been explored previously in alfred things of like oh he's the butler and he was a close family friend instead of like oh he's like the protector of the family you that's know, why I he's so that buff. Was... he's the buffler <laughs> if you just do three more reps alfie thomas wayne will come back (laughs) it's okay (laughs) uh uh, again uh i know now that i think about it is this the first time alfred has been more buff than batman oh for sure Uh, yeah, so. Michael Cade beating the shit out of Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I like, uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, don't say uh, I didn't. I didn't tell you so. <laughs> like, you know, you're gonna ruin the day. <laughs> Are we all in agreement then with Andy Circus? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What, what an upset. What an upset. Can't say that I'm disappointed though. The final award, the granddaddy of them all, the best original picture. That's right. So that means it's a film that is not a prequel, sequel, remake, or part of a franchise. And the nominees are Free Guy, Free Guy, and Free Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, everyone. Uh, We we have one qualifier. this year <laughs> so it's stiff competition but uh grim who are you going with this time around so actually i can't go with free guy because it's been invalidated because green free guy 2 has been authorized and thus it's now part of a series oh, <laughs> i see i see oh no oh no oh goodness me i should have known the success of free guy <laughs> would make it that way oh goodness well well then uh, we have nothing to celebrate. <laughs> nothing, nothing is sacred. <laughs> and for the the one person going, um, Jungle Cruise again, adaptation of Disney theme park ride. So it's a it's IP uh, recontextualized. So please sit down. Also, stop having such strong feelings about Jungle Cruise. He's not going to read your emails. It's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is this has been the year 2021 these were the movies that were we had two movies that were not related to superheroes <laughs> and not related to disney ip and that was f9 the fast saga and no time to die so congrats cuz both of those were oh oh boy <laughs> <laughs> It it is bad because they're like, because, you know, the discourse around, oh, well, I guess you want there to be other movies. You should go support the other things. And it's like, yes, I should. And it's like, well, that's why I'm going to go watch (sighs) fucking No Time to Die, I guess. Because, yeah, got to support Sony and not Disney for some reason. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they need a win. It's like, sorry, I'm not going to start calling West Side Story a masterpiece because, like, the camera moves over a water reflection. <laughs> well, do you take that back, number one? Fuck you, sir. West Side Story is an amazing film. <laughs> it's, an, 
<laughs> it's something that makes me feel like Spielberg has really been coasting the past 15 years because Jesus Christ, where was this level of effort for the past decade and a half? Uh, uh, God, Steve. Uh, but uh, yes, yes, uh, it is. It is amazing. Everyone, just please go watch Green Knight and Dune. Please just just watch those movies instead. Um, uh, you'll be fine. I promise. And the They're still duel. vaguely superhero-y. Last Duel. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, a, yeah. yeah. Last yeah, Duel. Go watch Absolutely. that too. Bros, go watch The Last Duel. Absolutely. It teaches <laughs> you about how women lie and can't be trusted. That was what my <laughs> main takeaway was. What about y'all? Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, which of the storylines was the most believable? Uh, yeah. I, I do thoroughly enjoy for The Last Duel that like Ben Affleck looks like a white rapper who got caught in a time stream and ended up... <laughs> in france <laughs> they really went for it with their hairstyles didn't they oh yeah god bless them yeah oh i mean yeah he was he was rocking the full mullet that was <laughs> that was great <laughs> like it was so bad it made me think well this has to be historically accurate <laughs> why yeah. why else would they go this route oh oh dear god still preferable than the like run dots on other people's heads because all of their shit's just cgi so oh that's true uh well, it's okay. Uh, uh, on to on to next year. Uh, on to things that we're looking forward to. Uh, I guess Morbius might be on this list next year. Who knows? Uh, we'll see if it ends up crossing at the box office. But thank you, Grim, yeah. so much for for joining us for this. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Anything to plug? What's going on in your world? Uh, well, I'm still working on the Greatest Depression Radio, uh, which is just going to be a podcast with a very, very in-depth deep dive on the Great Depression for each episode. Um, and uh, I would just uh, like to say that for next year's, it's going to be really hard because uh, for this year, six of the top 10 grossing movies are all Chinese. Hell yes. That's why I focus on the domestic box office. <laughs> xenophobia, xenophobia, <laughs> xenophobia. Uh, boy, yes, yes. Uh, it, it is great. The The fact that you do real world analysis into real things that affect real people and diving into the lives of, of just things that happen in reality instead of uh, the stringent examples of where I'm just kind of able to to chronicle our descent into monoculture is <laughs> is fascinating and it's uh it's humbling to have you come on here and do oh, this course. with us it, so thank you thank you uh grift what is happening in the shop uh well first of all i want to say uh, thanks to grim for making the depression great again uh i think it's just gonna get <laughs> gonna gonna get ever more relevant you know as 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 events continue to develop uh in in the world as we know it um so upcoming in the shop uh we have some planned um spring break theme merch uh, i'm going to um M miami to 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 grift and uh, i may or may not be writing it off of my taxes so Hell yes. i i gotta i gotta drop like a miami vice themed um collection for that so be on the lookout for that coming up next month perfect the only thing i want to come out of this particular episode is the image of uh ryan reynolds but as you know one of the people in the soup line that says don't have a good depression have a great depression <laughs> as for things happening on the podcast of course everyone please uh check us out on twitter i'm sure that's how most of y'all found us anyway uh also on spotify uh thank you to spotify for i guess throwing us into random things it's nice to see us popping up and 
cross-populating into different areas uh so please go ahead and uh follow the on the spotify polls tell your friends about us that always helps out with things and until next week goodbye everyone peace